Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, September 20, is episode number 99. Well, just ahead, the global chip shortage takes a bite out of a major Chinese electric car maker. And one mining giant says China's tightening grip on steel production isn't the only headwind facing that industry. And meet the cloud-based technology company secretly powering hundreds of U.S. banks and credit unions. Meridian Link CEO Nicholas Vloek joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. Boy, and help us out. Go to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Let the rest of the world know why you listen to The Drill Down. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that are moving. Man, they were moving today. Yeah. Kind of in one direction. That is one of the three most important developments in the world of business today. Isaac, what else you got? Or what do you got? Start with that one. Well, what goes up must come down, right? Not necessarily. I think that's kind of how it goes. It's been that way for thousands of years. But let's start with the stock market. Worries about spreading contagion from troubles in China's property market sent U.S. stocks toward their steepest declines in months today. The Dow dropped 1.8%. The S&P 500 dropped 1.7%. The tech-focused Nasdaq fell 2.2%. The declines were broad-based, with all 11 of the S&P 500 sectors recording declines. The retreat came amid concerns over property developer China Evergrande Group. We've been talking about this company on our show for a week now. Now, there's a belief Beijing will let Evergrande fail and inflict losses on its shareholders and bondholders. Now, this company's debt burden is the biggest for any publicly traded real estate management or development company in the world. That's how big Everland, Evergrande is. Excuse yeah, but, me. But, but, but if we're looking at the market, well, we'll just let's wait. just so let's round this before out. Before you get there. Before you get yeah? there. Yeah. Okay, we, go. We typically don't, you know, all these other morons in the business press start with stock market moves. as That's, if that's the most important That's your thing word, not mine. Every That's day. your word. They do it every day. That's true. That is their lead story. The, mar- the pr- change in the price of the market is not the most important thing in the world of business every day. In fact, I would argue, right. and the purpose of this podcast, is that the change in the price of the market is not the most important thing almost every day. So they shouldn't lead with that. It's not a big, It just means that they're not thinking. Now, so why are we leading with this today? Well, I'm not, you know, 1.8%. BFD with the Dow Jones Industrial Average. What does BFD stand for? The NASDAQ, however, 2.2%. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's a big deal. I I mean, it's one one day of trading. It's all in one direction. We'll see if this means anything. But uh, people do get excited. And that's another reason we don't quote the Dow in terms of the number of points, because all that matters is the percentage. Well, this Evergrande story is a... A story that keeps on moving, and it is a very important story. And but let's get to your to your point. If you look at a twelve month chart, the Dow is still up by twenty five percent. The S and P is up by thirty two percent, and the Nasdaq is up by thirty six percent. Yeah. So, uh, context. Context. 
All right, let's move on. Royal Dutch Shell is said to be close to a deal to sell assets in the Permian Basin. That's the most active U.S. oil field to ConocoPhillips. Now, the price tag, $9.5 billion. Now, all this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The sale is one of the largest recent transactions in that shale patch as large oil companies are coming under increasing pressure to diversify outside of fossil fuels. Yeah, I mean, Permian cranks out a lot of oil, a lot of gas. Um, and is you know some of the cheapest production in the U.S. Now, let's move on to Twitter. Twitter said it's agreed to pay more than $800 million to settle a consolidated class action securities lawsuit alleging that the company deliberately misled investors about user engagement back in 2015. The shareholder action claimed that Twitter misled investors about two closely tracked metrics, monthly active users and timeline views. Yeah, I went, I went back and read the lawsuits on this just to see what they were accused of. And the company did not admit to any wrongdoing as part of this, you know, $800 million settlement. It's a very big settlement. But specifically, the, the, the suit alleged that Dick Costolo, the former CEO, and Anthony Noto, the former CFO, who's now the CEO of uh, SoFi, um, that they specifically and intentionally had investors focus on uh, monthly active users and said they didn't really know what the daily active users were or there were or that they're, that's not exactly true, that they didn't, they were not necessarily correlated and they couldn't give out those numbers. And then a few months after, after month after and quarter after quarter of kind of middling results. And importantly, these suits claim to have confidential employees inside the company saying that we knew the numbers were really bad. The user engagement numbers were really bad and they were hiding those numbers. Uh, as soon as uh, uh, Costello was out and a bunch of other managers left Twitter, and Noto stays on a CFO and then says, yeah, these numbers are pretty bad. Um, uh, not, no, at least not what they, they had hoped that they would be, that they were kind of flat year over year. And that the suggestion to investors where things weren't quite as bad, um, that's a, a black eye in this company and the way they, you know, it should remind us all to really look uh, with great suspicion and doubt about whatever companies tell us is going on uh, with the numbers that they Speaking of... Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, Lee Auto is a company that uh, might not be well known to investors or uh, investors, people in the world of automobiles, but Lee, L-I Auto, uh, interesting company to look at today. Yeah, Lee Auto, it trades under L-I. Shares fell 7% today, but they have gained 68% over the past 12 months. So tell us about Lee Auto. I wasn't familiar with this company until today. Yeah, and it's a it's a decent sized company. It's got a yeah. thirty billion dollar market cap. Um, mm -hmm. They make electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, in China uh, for the Chinese market. And they announced today. Well, you know, let's talk about that just really briefly. That's a very hot market. Beijing has said they want twenty percent of all new car sales to come with with from zero emission vehicles in twenty twenty five, which is really soon. Li Auto is in a very good position to do that. It's the number three uh, electric and hybrid car maker in China. But today they announced that they can't get the chips that they need and the radar that they need out of Malaysia because of COVID-19. So they've reduced the number of uh, vehicles that they say they will be able to produce. Now, it's worth noting, in July, they made 8,000 electrical car vehicles. That's kind of the magic number for them. Uh, they're one of the few companies to ever get to that level. Well, they've lowered their guidance from about 25,500 to 24,500 Q3 deliveries. Now, what was interesting here, now that, again, they're blaming uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic in Malaysia, keeping them from getting the uh, millimeter wave radar that they need for their cars. 
um, interesting about this was they were asked very specifically about this on their last conference call. And the Kevin Shen, the president of the company, had some brief comments about this. They acknowledged that uh, that COVID-19 was, you know, they were keeping an eye on supplies or keeping an eye on semiconductor supplies. But very specifically, he said, we've already considered the potential impact of COVID-19 in Malaysia. And yet I uh, kind of blew it off when I asked about what was going to happen in the third quarter. Uh, I, I think uh, when we give out the, 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 the guidance for third quarter, uh, we, we have already taken into consideration of the potential risk of the uh, impact uh, of the COVID-19 uh, in Malaysia. Yeah. So therefore, uh, we, 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 we don't want to be uh, too aggressive. So he was saying the last prediction was not too aggressive. Well, wrong. It was too aggressive. And they admitted to it today. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Cleveland Cliffs. Cleveland Cliffs. Now, they don't make cliff bars, do they? They Ooh. do not. They may Man, consume I, them. And I, I, you know, why wouldn't I, you? I could use a cliff bar right now, but Cleveland Cliffs is a different kind of company. Trades under CLF. Shares fell almost 10% today, but they've gained 219% over the past 12 months. Cleveland Cliffs, of course, the mining company. Tell us about what's going on with Cleveland Cliffs. Well, yeah, and it's important, steel, right? Steel's steel. uh, a, a big deal for this company. Um, and uh, today, uh, they, this was the singular biggest loser in the S&P 1000. So when you look across a really broad swath of all the public traded companies in the U.S., these guys got hit the most. Why did they get hit so badly today at almost 10% loss? It is about China, and it is about those concerns about real estate in China and the broad economy in China and China as a consumer of steel. Now that said, iron ore has been in about a nine or 10 day straight sell-off. So as the concern about China has bubbled up, particularly since Wednesday when we first mentioned Evergrande on the show, we didn't cause Evergrande to be a problem. It was a problem that we covered it, just to be clear, cause and effect. I, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, it's a powerful podcast. It's true. We, we, true. Do, we do carry a lot of weight particularly in China. Speak for yourself. Yes. Hey, COVID, <laughs> COVID 10 pounds, right. big deal. You're right, you're right. You're so, right. Uh, uh, so Cleveland Cliffs um, uh, had been already suffering from the sell-off in iron ore and the concern about uh, steel makers writ large. But in their last conference call, all the way back in July, uh, the CEO, uh, Loranco Gonzalez, was really, <laughs> had some comments about you know, China saying they want to cut steel production, but they're not doing it. Uh, and that other countries in Europe and Japan and Canada um, not really being concerned about the return on investment because they're getting money from the government. They're getting subsidies. They're getting free money. And uh, Canadian European steel producers pretty stoked about getting that free money. It's pretty hard to compete. And the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs basically couldn't do anything except for almost laugh and smile about the fact that his competitors don't have to make money. And he does. Here's his thoughts. China continues to say that they want to cut emissions, which they can do by either cutting steel production to reduce sinter usage or using more scrap or both. With all that, the trend on the price of prime scrap is also upward. Separately, investments towards decarbonization will need ROI, return on investment. Unless you operate in Europe, 
in Japan or in Canada. Still companies in these countries and continents are being awarded general subsidies and free money. That's another compelling reason why imports need to be held in check as other countries take advantage of a totally uneven, uneven playing field with their much worse environmental performance than ours and major government subsidies that we don't get here in the United States. China is not our only problem. Our so-called friends are bad too. Friends, how many of us have them? Can't get enough. Friends you can depend on? Isn't that so a song? That was my, that was my, yeah. that was my Bismarcky, the late great. Yeah. Okay. In any case, right? Um, steel uh, <laughs> problems because of our our economic friends uh, and allies uh, giving uh, subsidies that the U.S. does not give is making it tough to be in the steel business right now in the U.S. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at a company called Mirati Therapeutics. Mirati Therapeutics. It trades under MRTX. Shares rose two percent today, and they've gained over nine percent in a year. What's going on with Marathi? So very interesting development in the world of cancer, particularly in colon cancer. This company said on Sunday, they had some big announcements on Sunday and they had a big announcement this morning about the company itself, about company management. But on Sunday, the company said it had uh, results of a study that showed that 22% of colon cancer patients responded to their treatment. It's a drug called uh, Adagrazib or Adagrazib, something like that. In any case, um, the 22% of the cancer, colon cancer patients uh, had this um, positive response. Uh, the cancer did not get worse uh, for, uh, for the median uh, patient receiving this for 5.6 months. Now, there's a, this is an interesting uh, technological development. There is a difficult to treat, uh, treat mutation in a protein called KRAS. And this suggested that they could actually stop that mutation from happening with this drug uh, which causes, which, you know, cancer, of course, is the rapid multiplication of cells. Um, uh, and this thing could actually stop it by treating this mutation of this protein. A uh, very positive sign. Amgen's working on a similar thing. Um, it's a monotherapy. Uh, they talked in the study results both on monotherapy when they're using only this drug as well as in combination therapies. And they found some pretty solid results. Um, and it was really positive. And so they took this occasion to change CEOs. They announced this morning. So they announced the results on Sunday, unusual. And then they announced this morning that uh, before the press conference that they're going to get a new CEO, that the founder was going to step aside uh, and remain with the company. But they brought in uh, a new CEO um, who they thought uh, could help really lead them to another place because he had experience, um, uh, the new CEO, in doing big drug development, in doing in building up manufacturing capacity because they think these results are so solid that they're going to actually be able to get this product to market and really soon with an NDA uh, submission and approval in a pretty short time span. Here is that outgoing CEO and founder, Chuck Baum. You know, obviously, we believe that the data is very strong and that we're well on our way towards the NDA submission and an approval in a pretty short time span. And so in order to prepare ourselves in the best possible way, you know, we want to make sure that we have the right setting and the right people in place 
with enough time to get ready for that launch. And so that, that's the primary driver for the timing. And so timing is now, new CEO in place, with a nice uh, study result here for giving some more hope for colon cancer patients. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at a company whose software secretly and quietly runs a lot of the banking software that we all use. Indeed, it could be your bank or your credit union that is uh, using this software growing business of Meridian Link, which we will discuss with CEO Nicholas Flock. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Indeed. When you pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. With Indeed, you only pay for quality candidates meet your must-have requirements. Don't just hope for the perfect candidate. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise and hire faster and smarter. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests to make sure you're finding applications from the people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined and one and a half times more hires than even internal referrals. Join more than three million businesses worldwide. Worldwide, I said. They are also worldwise, not world-weary like me. They're worldwide. They're worldwise, and they use Indeed to hire great talent fast. So get started right now. Drill down listeners who are surely listening carefully know that you can get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash drilldown. So go to drilldown or Indeed.com slash drilldown for that $75 job credit. That's right. Indeed.com slash drilldown offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, as promised, we are joined right now by Nicholas Loke, uh, the CEO of Meridian Link. Nicholas, glad to have you. Um, yours is a very interesting um, company because I think a lot of people that use your software and just don't know it. Yeah. Well, Cody, thank you for having me on the on the uh, show and really a pleasure telling our story. And you're right, Meridian Link is one of those companies you don't even know exist, but so many Americans um, make use of it. Uh, you touch daily lives, given that we are the backbone for a significant amount of financial institutions, especially in the mid market that interact with uh, the consumers out there. And we offer um, a loan origination platform, kind of starting the journey on the account opening side and facilitate pretty much every type of student loan for mid marketing, oh, every type of consumer loan for the mid-market outside of student loans. So uh, folks who's buying a new car, folks who's buying a jet ski, RV, doing speciality financing, um, just uh, on the mortgage side, touching so many lives uh, running through our, our platform. And uh, the way, the way I, I understand it from reading your financial filings and so on is that on the front end, when a consumer is using uh, an app or whether it's on or a website or an app for their credit union, the, the credit union didn't write that software. It's actually probably your software that's a wrapper around their, their banking uh, uh, business. Yes. Um, we, we offer a platform and for depository taking institutions, you kind of can think of, we run about 80% of their business on our platform. And we tend to integrate into their core provider. We kind of help them become much more digitally enabled. Um, we, we are the, 
the workflow of um, the, the whole, say, loan application with the decisioning engine. We integrate with a, 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 a large number of partners into our partner marketplace that um, these institutions can pick from who to enable. And literally, the journey can start with them opening an account with an, a credit union, kind of apply for a vehicle loan. We've, we, we have the information on the consumer. We kind of, through our partners, pull the employment history, the credit uh, worthiness, the credit records, the vehicle information all together, package it, run it through our decisioning engine, and um, also produce the documents. And you can be in a position where you have a car loan uh, funded very, very quickly in that mid-market because the mid-market today typically do not have the ability to go and compete with the larger institutions, larger banks with resources, but our platform enables them to punch well above their weight in, in having these, um, these functionality and, 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 and features available. Well, and, 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 you know, you're of the hundred largest credit unions, you guys say you've got to what, 68, at least that's what the, uh, the, the first filings uh, from your company had to say. Um, uh, why the focus on credit unions? What, how is that business different than bank? I, and I know in the text of the filings, you guys talk about other kind of financial institutions as well, but yeah. it seems pretty clear there's a focus on credit unions. You know, it's kind of the history. It's where the company kind of founded its roots and the roots are deeper in the credit union space. Um, we've, we've been building our platform and our company here for uh, about two decades. And having started off in credit unions and some of the partnerships we created early on, like for like like for example, uh, Jack Henry, who, who white labels our solution and our platform, um, that that took us into the credit union space earlier and 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 maybe a little deeper. But um, we we certainly think of ourselves as a platform that offer a solution for for a, a broader fintech space than purely credit unions. Yeah. Um, now explain to me how you charge for the business. How do you, um, how do the customers pay? And I also kind of want to know the sales process. I would imagine getting a foot in the door is really hard with these institutions because you're really touching their critical pieces of their business, but they probably try you out on one or two little things before you expand the business mm -hmm. within an enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we kind of answer the question in two parts here. Um, how do we go about and how do we sell and, and, and how do we implement? And then we can look at the business model a little bit. Um, how we go to market is through um, a sales organization that that engages in a pretty defined market that we we operate in. We are a U.S. based organization. We know the ten thousand or so financial institutions that's um, in the U.S. Uh, financial system, and we also uh, can can s draw a pretty good circle around the segment of mid market that that we highly focused on. And our team is focused on driving relationships, messaging, and kind of we know who we want to speak to in, 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 in that sense. And what we offer is a chance for the segment that we, we go after in the market to really transform and bring their business forward from a, a digitalization standpoint. You, you tend to find a lot of the loan origination systems be either point solutions or kind of more legacy, which I would kind of in, a, in layman's terms describe as more of an electronic approval cycle that, that you would go through, but isn't really integrated to the extent that our platform is kind of integrated on the omni-channel side. So let the consumer choose how he wants to interact digitally. 
kind of integrated into the 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 back end back office environments but handles all the workflow the decisioning kind of the customer interaction um and and that's what meridian link is doing different and differentiate our offering from from the competitors now how do we how do we kind of go about it we 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 win the deal we kind of embrace the clients in, in kind of the implementation planning and cycle and process we have a team that would go in help the migration of data kind of bring the customer live on our platform and many customers start with kind of one or two loan channels think of maybe auto lending and credit card or something where they kind of get to know and get to use our environment and the platform and as we continue to help them be successful and and grow their business they tend to start expanding different consumer loan channels and and turn them on 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 the platform and then how do you get paid and how do we get paid we how we approach our clients is um we are volume driven the number of applications that gets processed through our platform um drives our revenue and customers typically make a minimum commitment to us say um uh, you the financial institution and you 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 know for for a fact that you're going to be processing a thousand plus applications a month and um so you make a commitment to us say of a thousand as your minimum and then on any overage you pay us a fee for every application on top of that you um you would process through through our platform and i, I mean clients take a different approach some some would approach it as kind of let, let's just find the lowest month in the year and that's our floor others are kind of a little bit more analytical about it and kind of wanting to find that that sweet spot in the middle that that works for kind of the lowest and the highest well, it, month it sounds like it incentivizes but, you to make the process attractive and easier to, to get through yes and also enable our customers to be more engaged and be more responsive and automatic and helping clients identify uh, opportunities to engage with their consumer so from our perspective it it pays our clients to do more loans and good loans and we we kind of that engine that enables them to do that and grow their business uh, data support clients who run financial institutions who run on the meridian link platform tend to outperform the market in growth and number of loans originated compared to um uh, any other competitor in in the marketplace so where so this is an interesting time for that business because Individual balance sheets from what we've been talking about the show kind of constantly are really strong right now. Savings rates are, are, are at sky high levels. Credit card debt is is exact exact opposite as low as it's been in, in memory. This probably isn't a great environment when you get are, are meant to get paid by people taking out lots of loans because people don't need a lot of loans right now. You know, you, you'll, you'll be surprised. Um, the, oh, I like we've seen a lot of activity on a mortgage side where folks yeah. uh, did a lot of refinancing um, with kind of the, the lowest rates. So somebody mentioned to me, it's the lowest rates in, 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 in the 4,000 year history. Not that I know what the starting point would be, but we've never had rates as low and that drove a lot of activity. But also folks have shifted where they spend their dollar and what they are interested. Travel has been down quite significantly over the last 18 months. And, uh, consumers have shifted towards other interesting ways to kind of uh, spend their dollar. We've seen a real uptick in marine and kind of um, uh, kind of uh, auto 
and pre-owned auto folks folks have gone into the market and kind of thought about buying that that jeep or atv or that marine the boat and have financed it so my view is we've seen kind of an interesting consumer shift that the pandemic kind of underpinned um there were some macro factors like low interest rates but the consumer is still very very active and the consumer kind of is is just shifted the 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 the, the buckets where they put their dollar um over the course of the last 12 18 months that's interesting has the you know you mentioned boating and, and obviously um where there have been real shortages uh, in the industry of just product out there as fast as they can make boats they're selling them but the consumers can't seem to get enough of them the same we know to be true of cars although in the case of cars and trucks we know that the the automakers have not been able to make as many as they want. Has that constrained your business or do you just see the, because the size of the loan doesn't matter to you, it sounds like. Yeah, you know. So um, rising prices don't help you or hurt you, but but maybe lower prices would help more loans happen. Yeah, but the, I would also say kind of from an historical standpoint, um, to date folks have been very active. If they could not find a new vehicle the, the they've gone to the pre-owned market and the pre-owned market has been very very active even yeah. with with prices going up consumers have very actively participated in the pre-owned market so from from my perspective if it's not available as new that demand has kind of shifted over over to pre-owned and i think another way to think about it is uh consumer demand is not like an airline seat once the plane took off and that seat was empty that that opportunity is lost. Um, if if you cannot find your vehicle this month, and you can keep looking, and two three months down the line, you you tend to find what you want, whether it's pre-owned or you're willing to wait for new to be delivered. Um, the demand is there. We 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 see it. The industry sources kind of point us to it and, and highlight it. Um, that um, if if the, if inventory comes back from an auto perspective, I think it's going to be a very active new market. Um, let alone what you see on the on the pre-owned side right now. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, again, because uh, you know savings rates, as I mentioned, are so high. People do are, are a lot of people are, are really flush with cash in ways we haven't seen. And then, of course, you've got this, this little bull market that most of our listeners probably have noticed in the stock market. Probably doesn't hurt <laughs> things either. Uh, where do yeah, you expect yeah, I think most- it gives confidence to the consumer out there, kind of looking at your yeah your four hundred one k or looking at your uh, portfolio, and you you, you tend to probably feel a little bit more bolstered than you've been when when markets had a different color than green or, or your coinbase account come on exactly exactly <laughs> um I, I wonder where you see growth you mentioned boats and i wonder if there's other places where you see an unusual amount of growth in lending uh, consumer lending you know i think i, I would say uh, think about it as kind of consumers are spending money in areas where the interests lie that kind of shifted that where the where the pandemic had an impact on on travel and, and those things that's down and you tend to see remodeling HELOCs, um kind of upgrading a home getting a new home it feels like the consumer spend is kind of a little bit more closer to home and kind of focus on where can we be what can we do what can we add to our life to kind of still enjoy still make it still be meaningful but not need to get on a plane to travel and get get kind of on the road and from our perspective refinancing was a real strong play um, over the last 12 18 months 
kind of folks re-engaging, wanting to upgrade a home or or kind of buying a second home, um, investing in kind of a, a toy or a boat, uh, ATV, an off-road vehicle. We, we've seen a lot of activity kind of where the consumer um, kind of do it closer to home. And, and I would say that's maybe the, the, the part that stands out from a year or a year and a half ago. Let me ask you finally, there's been a real explosion in the um, non-traditional lenders, the companies like Affirm or SoFi that are doing things that one might have thought banks are getting into that business. Are you seeing an impact in, in the places where you are, are have software uh, and the credit unions and, and the banks and, and those kinds of institutions? Are you seeing a movement of, of lending partners moving away from uh, the actual good old-fashioned financial institutions? You know, I think with a with a tide rising, all ships rise. And and my view is is uh, kind of the SoFi's and others you've mentioned is is really helping the tide to rise and and also driving um, the market that we serve to be more digitally capable, more digitally enabled, more forward thinking in their offerings, and that brings volume and it's brings goodness for us and for the SoFi's and the others of the world. I, I think it's a transition that those who end up being part of that transition in, in kind of the earlier stages will benefit more. But the reality is, is the mid market has historically invested more in kind of back office automation and in branch solutions. Right. The world's changing and then in the mid market financial institutions kind of need to find an answer and need to do it sooner rather than later. And um, we there and we kind of that partner they can rely on to, to help them digitally transform their business. And I think peer pressure, if, if the financial institution and the next zip code next to you kind of did it and it's taking away business from you, that that's going to be a trigger point, but also I think the SoFi's and, and the larger banks are digitally capable and enabled and Lending will, them, will yeah. bring that tide up and all the ships will end up rising. And, and I personally feel the tailwind of digitalization is going to be a five, 10 year kind of tailwind for our industry and, and for Meridian Link. Well, we have a drinking game on the Drill Down podcast whenever someone says digital transformation. So thank you for sparing us and, and sparing my liver of not saying that phrase <laughs> at the very least. We're so glad to have okay. you. Nicholas Locke is the CEO of Meridian Link. Well, when the drill down continues, we're going to have one number that means a whole lot about Meridian Link. We're going to tell you just how many financial institutions are using this software. I think the number might, uh, might surprise you. We'll have that right after this. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And the drill down is now available on Player FM. You can go to the Player FM website, but when you do so, not just listen to this show, you can leave a review. You can even click the subscribe button. That way you can catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Well, it turns out the Meridian Link is used by, ready for this, Isaac? You got a guess in your head? I always have a guess in my head. As of the end of last year, the company had 1,900 financial institutions that they were providing software for. So 
you may be banking with one of those 1900 firms and don't know that you're using Meridian Link software when you're doing those loan applications and so on. I mean, is that, is that all financial institutions? I mean, that's a lot. No, there's like 10,000. But oh, well. still. That was a smug grow. way to answer that question. How smug? 1900, that's a lot. I'm always smug. You know that. That's true. Our that's listeners, true. And we appreciate you nonetheless <laughs> putting up with me and Isaac. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Our editor extraordinaire is Ben Wilson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.